0: Maybe you have come into the house of the Lord today and you need for your head to be lifted. You need God to lift your head and help you to see all the blessings that are available to you in Jesus Christ. And I hope that that will happen for you today in the preaching of the Word, in the prayers, in the songs, in the fellowship, that you'll be able to take your mind off of whatever worldly circumstances surround you and you'll be able to see through all that Uh, to the God who has blessed each and every one of us through Jesus Christ. And we're thankful that you're here. Uh, If you're a member, a a, a regular, a first-time visitor, we're just really glad to have you uh, in our midst today. All right, it is the month of May. This is a notoriously busy month because of all the events that are associated with the end of the school year. This morning, I want us to go on a journey Would you go on a journey with me? The travelers on this journey are three gentlemen by the names of Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark. And for short, we could call them P, B, and J, M in parentheses. And I came up with that myself. Aren't you impressed? Isn't that cute? It's not. It's pretty lame, so just bear with me. Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark begin their journey in Antioch of Syria, and I actually have a map up here, and you can follow along with their journey, and this is a journey that many of you are familiar with. If you grew up in church, if you grew up going to Sunday school, you've probably seen a map like this on a flannel board way back when. You could probably remember that, seeing this first journey that we call it of Paul, his Uh, co-workers Barnabas and John Mark, they begin their journey in Antioch of Syria. You can see that to the right side of the map. This trio is in the midst of the church there, and they are set apart by the Holy Spirit for a very special work, and then they are sent off into the mission field. This is Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. The first thing they do is they go to the coast, they board a boat and they sail to the island of Cyprus. That's the big island sitting there in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea on the map. Things are very interesting for them in Cyprus. They are able to convert to the faith a leading Roman official, a proconsul, despite some fierce opposition from a magician slash false prophet. So these three are off to a pretty amazing adventure already. From Cyprus, they sail up to the coast. You see that town uh, called Perga in Pamphylia. This is the place where John Mark decides, I don't want to go any further. And he hightails it back to Jerusalem. So our trio is now down to a duo, Paul and Barnabas. And they head further inland to the city of Antioch of Pisidia. Do you see that up on the upper left side of your map? There's two Antiochs. There's Antioch of Syria, where they began their journey. And now they're all the way at the other end of the map in the region of Galatia and Asia in Antioch of Pisidia. Now, some of you guys are enjoying this because you like maps. And some of you guys are like, please, do away with this map. I do do not want to look at a map. It'll be gone in just a second. Antioch of Pisidia. Here, Paul preaches a very powerful sermon in which he traces Israelite history from Moses all the way to Jesus the Savior. But because of the resistance of many of the Jews in this city, Paul and Barnabas say, we are now turning our attention to the Gentiles. They make some converts there, but they're eventually driven out of town. Well, from Antioch, they head east to Iconium. And in Iconium, it's the same story. There's preaching. They performed signs and wonders because Paul and the other apostles at this time, they had abilities given to them by the Holy Spirit that are not available to us today, that are not needed for us today because we have the complete written word. But they were able to perform miracles and heal people. And so they did in this city and there were new believers. But Paul and Barnabas caught wind that there was an attempt to stone them. And so they escaped southward to the city of Lystra. And in Lystra, we find the amazing healing of a crippled man, a man whose feet did not work since birth. Paul heals this man, but because the people in this town were steeped in Roman and Greek mythology, they think that Paul and Barnabas are the gods come down in the flesh. They think Barnabas is Zeus, and they think Paul is Hermes. And they want to worship them. And they want to bring sacrifices before them. And this greatly upsets Paul and Barnabas. And they say, look, we are just men like you. We are here proclaiming good news that you should turn away from these worthless, lifeless gods and you should turn to the true and living God, the Father of Jesus Christ, who made all the things that you see. But they were hardly able to keep them, the people in Lystra, from offering sacrifices to them. So this has been a lively journey. This has been an adventure. And I want us to pick back up in just a moment where we left off in the city of Lystra. But I want to ask a question before we go any further. And the answer to this question, many of you will know, it will seem like an obvious question to a lot of you, but the question is, what was the purpose of this journey? Did you know... That this team, Paul and Barnabas and John Mark on the first leg, logged over 1,200 miles on this trip. Now that's a lot of miles. That's a lot of miles for any trip that we would take today by plane or by automobile. But as you know, travel in this day and age was much more difficult. They traveled by boat. Very slow way to travel. And an even slower way, by foot. That's how they traveled on land. Many miles that these guys traveled, what made them pick up stakes, stop everything that they were doing back home, and take this long journey? Well, here it is in a nutshell. This is the reason. They took this journey to make and to develop disciples of Jesus Christ. To make and to develop disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, if you were here last week, You remember that we talked about how it doesn't matter who you were, it matters who you are. And we talked a good bit about Paul, about his before as a fierce persecutor of the church and about his after when he became a prominent preacher in the church, a Christian. When he was brought from darkness to light by Jesus Christ, he lived, he existed to make and to develop disciples. That was his life's work. That was his calling card. That was what he was all about. That's what he lived for. And that was the special work for which Paul and Barnabas and John Mark were set apart in the city of Antioch. That is why they were sent out. It was their special work. And it remains our special work today. It is our main thing. It was Paul's main thing. It was the early church's main thing to make and to develop disciples. And it's our main thing today. And the key for us as 21st century Christians as the church today is to keep the main thing the main thing. As you know, there are many other things that vie for our attention. In our individual lives. And in our life as a church. There are many things in church life. Good things. Worthy things. Good works. Even good things can distract us. From the main thing. And so this morning. I want to remind you of the main thing. And I want to tell you. That the main thing. Is that we keep the main thing. The main thing. And the main thing is making disciples and developing disciples. Why? And here's an even more basic question. And you may be thinking, Joseph, you are really covering some milk-type questions. I mean, we know the answers to these questions, but I think we ought to ask anew this question, why, to be reminded of why this is the main thing. Well, there's a God in heaven. Did you know that? I bet you did. And the only way to experience the best life now and eternal life later is to share in a relationship with that God. And the only way to share in a relationship with that God who is the only one who can offer us life, life abundant, life eternal, is through Jesus Christ and through the blood that He shed on the cross for our sins. The only way we can share in a right relationship with God is by becoming Jesus' disciples, and by remaining Jesus' disciples. It's important to become a follower of Jesus Christ. It is equally, if not more important, to remain His follower throughout your life. It's important for us to confess the faith, but it's equally, if not more important, for us to keep the faith. This is part and parcel with the rest. We are concerned with becoming disciples of Jesus and remaining his disciples. We need to be reminded that what we do now matters forever. Do you believe that? What you believe now, how you live now, matters forever. What you do and how you act and how you live in this life matters in the next And we believe the Bible teaches that uh, whether or not we embrace Christ in this life, that has eternal ramifications, eternal consequences. And you may be saying, you know, "This this is just easy stuff. I know this. But it seems to me that if we knew this, I mean really knew it to the core of our being, then there would be a little bit more urgency to declare the gospel to our friends and neighbors. To try to make and develop disciples with all those around us. If we really believe that what you do and how you live and what you believe in this temporary life matters for all eternity, then that would light a little hotter, a little brighter fire under us To declare the good news about Jesus Christ. Because listen. The years are short in this life. And week by week we are reminded of of, of just how fragile life is. And how life can be cut short in a moment. And if we as Christians really believe that your eternity is determined. By whether or not you accept and follow Jesus in this life. And it seems to me that we would be a little bit more excited and there would be a little bit more urgency about declaring the gospel. So maybe you say, oh, this is easy stuff. We know this. But do we really know it? I mean, know it, know it. Know it in a way that changes the way that we live and think and act. Because we don't always keep the main thing the main thing, do we? It's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy for me to get distracted, and I want to be transparent with you for for a moment. We are in the process of selling and purchasing a new home and selling our current home, purchasing a new home in this area. Somebody in this congregation, and I won't say who, said, oh, I was so excited when I saw that for sale sign in your front yard and yet so disappointed when I learned you were just moving across town. We're thankful for those who keep us humble, aren't we? Appreciated that. Maybe that person wasn't being serious, I hope. But I've been disturbed by how fixated I have become on this process. I've been concerned about making sure are we getting the best deal for our current home? Did we get the best deal on the home where we are moving? What about all the repairs that have to be done at both places? You know, are we going to spend too much money? I, I have become overly anxious, and I thought to myself, Joseph, you just preached a sermon about anxiety. Uh, You need to go back and listen to what you just said. Practice what you preach. And then I I also don't like how I have become overly concerned with, with money. I've just been thinking too much about money, and I know we have to be wise with our money, but the Bible warns us, do not be lovers of money. You can only serve one master. It's either God or it's money. And I've just been disturbed by how fixated, by how distracted I have been by this whole process. And I have not remembered the main thing. I have not kept the main thing the main thing. Which is to make and to develop disciples. And the New Testament, the witness of the church in the New Testament, if you will allow it, has the power to grab us by the collar and to, well, reach up off the page and slap us around a bit when when we get off track. The most remarkable details of this journey that we're tracking, the journey of Paul and Barnabas, we have yet to see. I want you to look with me in Acts chapter 14, verse 19. Paul and Barnabas are still in the city of Lystra, and I want you to see what happens here. We've already seen some amazing events happen. The most amazing is yet to come. Here we go, 1419. Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul, and they dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So some Jews, and there may have been, I'm not picking on the Jews here, there were also Gentile opponents to Paul. There were a lot of people who didn't like the message, Paul and Barnabas were preaching, but here we see that some Jews came from two cities that they had already visited. They come and they stone him. Now, when you stone somebody, you weren't just looking to, you know, teach them a lesson to injure them so as to get their attention. No, the purpose of a stoning was to take someone's life. We have already seen the life of an early Christian leader taken by stoning. The Jews stoned people who blasphemed against the name of God. And that is what's happening in Lystra. They drag Paul off and they throw rocks at him until they suppose that he was dead. Now, when I was reading this text, I thought to myself, did Paul actually die here and then was raised? I don't think that's the case because the text tells us that they supposed he was dead. But he was stoned within inches of his life. And there were no signs of life in him when they were done with him. They looked at him and it didn't appear that he was still alive. They stoned him in order to kill him. And they supposed that he was dead when they were done. So, what do you think Paul is going to do now that he almost died? Well, I'll tell you what I would do. You know, it's time to go back home to the mother church. I mean, it's time to go back home to the sponsoring congregation, to the safety of a more stable environment. You know, I did my best out here on the mission field, but it's time to hang up my hat and head back home. You know, the Christians in Antioch, they wouldn't expect me to continue under these kinds of conditions. You know, my life is in danger. My life is, is threatened. I, I almost died here, so, you know, I, I've given it my best shot, and I've taught several people about the gospel, uh, but now I'm, I'm just going to head on back home. Is that what Paul does? Look at what happens here in verse twenty. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up, he entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, dot dot dot. We'll pick back up here in a moment. I just want to pause, and I want us to see what Paul does. Paul, his, you know, he revives. I I believe miraculously here, verse twenty. The disciples gather about him. He gets up. You know, he's just inches from death. He gets up. He enters the city. And the very next day, he travels to another town, continues to proclaim the gospel, and make converts. This is remarkable. Paul doesn't quit. He just keeps going. He's that committed to the main thing. He's not committed to simply making disciples. He's committed to developing them as well. But look, look at what happens next because Paul's not done yet. Look at what happens here. After he goes to the next town, preaches the gospel, makes many disciples. Watch this. Then they return to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. Did you know that it would have been a lot easier, just from a travel perspective, from an itinerary perspective, for Paul and Barnabas to head back down to the coast and sail back to Antioch of Syria? They take the long way home. Why? Because it wasn't enough for Paul just to get people to the water, to baptize them into Christ, to make disciples. He knew that it was equally, if not more important, to help strengthen them in the faith. To help develop them. To help their faith grow deeper. And he goes back through the town where he was stoned. And then he goes back through the towns that produced the people who stoned him. He's that committed to the purpose for which he was called. For which he was set apart. By the Holy Spirit. He's that committed to keeping the main thing the main thing. Making and developing disciples. And one of my thoughts this past week, as I reflected on the ways that, the various ways that I get distracted, is what would Paul think about me? I mean, if Paul could see me, maybe he can see me. If he could see me, and if he could see the kinds of thoughts that I've been having, the kinds of small things that I've been worried about the ways that I have become distracted by material things from the main thing from making and keeping disciples what would Paul say man you Christians today you've got it all backwards you guys have you guys have got to you got to refocus on what is the main thing you got to quit letting all this other stuff distract you from the main thing I think Paul would I think he'd just be embarrassed by me. And that is the power when we go back to the Word, when we read about the New Testament church. They inspire us. They encourage us. They challenge us. By their bold faith and by their commitment to keeping the main thing the main thing. To make and develop disciples, that's it. We wonder why our faith is not any stronger, why our churches aren't growing any bigger. Maybe it's because we've forgotten the main thing. And let me tell you something, a church that forgets the main thing will end up being beset by strife, by petty arguments, because when you take your eyes off the bigger purpose that we all have and you turn inward and you start focusing on things that are not the main thing, then that is when arguments happen, that is when strife is stirred. But a church that remembers the main thing, a church that is not inward focused but outward focused, a church that is united by its purpose that church will remain strong and harmonious because we're not focused on inward stuff we're not focused on things that are not primary we are united by our common purpose our mission that which for which we've been set apart making and developing disciples there's another journey that i want to talk with you about and it's not you know a trip like the one we began with. It is in a way, but it's different. I want to talk about the journey of your life. Your life is a journey. It begins at your birth. It ends at your death, with no exceptions. And it is a journey that ought to be characterized by making and developing disciples of Jesus Christ. You don't need to go on a journey like Paul and Barnabas. As I said a few weeks ago, mission is not a trip. Mission is supposed to be your lifestyle. It should characterize your everyday reality. This is what we were put on earth to do. And there is great urgency in getting it done, in fulfilling the message for which we have been called. We are reminded, as I said earlier, every week, That the thread that tethers us to this earthly life is extremely thin, extremely tenuous. And it can snap at any moment, it can break at any moment. For people of any age, we do not know how many years we have. This life is fragile, it is brief, it is temporary. And what we do here matters. How we live here matters. And there are a lot of people who need to know that. Who need to be introduced to Jesus. A lot of people who we should aim to make disciples and then develop them into the people God has called them to be. Everything that we do is about this main thing. If you think about any ministry in our church, if you boil it down, you can boil it down To this purpose. And we ought to remember that. Especially when we feel weary of well doing. When we feel like we're just spinning our wheels. Like our work is in vain. It's not. What you're doing matters. How you're serving the kingdom matters. Because at the root of that. You are attempting to make. And to develop disciples. Of Jesus Christ. And that is the main thing. Let's keep the main thing. The main thing. This morning, do you need to become a disciple? Do you need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins so that you can be raised to walk in newness of life? Do you need to, this morning, renew your commitment as a disciple? Today, you can walk out of those back doors hand in hand with Jesus. He is the only one who can lead you into the presence of God for all eternity. If there are any spiritual needs today, why don't you come make them known as we stand and sing?